message from Valley Bible Fellowship. It is our sincere prayer that you're richly blessed through the ministry of the Word. For more information about VBF, visit our website at vbf.org. Now, here's Pastor Ron Bietti. How y'all doing? Thank you, Joe. We want to thank Tim Drisdale. He's a guest worship leader this morning. He used to be here years ago. And it worked out perfect because John Ranger has COVID. So he's homesick. So we're a little over time today. We're going to lengthen our service a little bit. Are you with me? Are you awake? All right. Well, we're going to dig right into the message. And like I say, we'll be a little bit later than usual, but I'll try to condense this as much as I can. But do you want to hear it? Yes. 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 Let's pray this right here. Father God, right now, I thank you for this day. And I thank you for what we're going to hear. And I thank you for where we're going. And I thank you right now how the Spirit's going to talk to us. Lord, we welcome everybody on the internet. We welcome all of our people that are watching today. We love you all. Guide and lead us through this time. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. Amen. The title of our sermon today is, How Wise Are You? Are you a wise guy? One of the wise men? Let's just start right out reading our text in Matthew 2, verse 1 through 15. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea. Now, now I want you to get this. I've got so much to say today. These religious people knew exactly where he was to be born, and they knew it was soon. They just didn't give a hoot, didn't seem like. They said, oh yeah, we know he's going to be born in Bethlehem of Judea, for that is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. Lie. I wanted to kill him. And hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them. Now, hold this just a second here. This is the same probably as the pillar of fire and pillar of cloud, the Old Testament, that led the Jewish people in the wilderness. Same thing. This is not ordinary star. This is God. And so they went their way. The star they see in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell to the ground and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. 
And when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child, and he's going to kill him. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother while it was still night, and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Last week I focused on the shepherd, or on the innkeeper, excuse me. Today I'm focusing on the wise men, called the Magi. Now, these people were similar to astrologers, astronomers, two totally different things, but they had a combination of both of them. Now, we see these guys way back in the Bible. We saw them in the days of Daniel. They were in the Babylonian kingdom. Now, listen to me. What's interesting, Daniel was made the chief of the Magi. He was their boss. He was their superior. Now, in our, in our text today, we're told that they came looking for Messiah. How many of them were there? Two, three, three, they say. There could have been 10, there could have been 15, there could have been 25 of them. We just think three simply because there were three gifts. But there could have been, we don't know how many of them. So forget the song, We Three Kings of Orient Are. We don't know that they were kings, probably not. And we don't know how many of them there were. They probably weren't on camels, they're probably on horses. And so the whole story, as we saw last week, is a little mixed up. But it says they came from the east, probably Persia. More than likely, they came from the Babylon area, approximately 750 miles away. Probably took them five or six weeks to get there. These guys were serious. Now, as we look back in the history of the Magi, we can put two and two together. They were more than likely heavily influenced by Daniel and his friends down through the ages. I mean... The things that Daniel did back in the book of Daniel, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these things were not done in a vacuum. They knew about it. I mean, this, this, this converted that country, man. It, it really was a big thing. Didn't convert the country, but it could have. Now, this, this, this whole idea that we read about in Daniel, being the lion's den, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the fiery furnace, and, and, and I mean, these people... They got introduced to God in that Babylon area. And I believe that some of these stories and, and the story of the God of Israel, which a lot of them accepted, I'm sure. I'm sure Daniel had an evangelistic uh, uh, influence. I'm sure Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I bet there were a lot of believers that were introduced to the kingdom by Daniel and these people. So uh, they had passed this down from generation to generation, this knowledge. I mean... You know, we know that they probably knew about Daniel 9, about that prophetic word about the timing of the coming of the Messiah. They knew about the star. They knew about the stories. I mean, can you imagine Daniel showing up to work the weekend after that ordeal in the lion's den? Can you imagine everybody gathered around and saying, hey, we heard, man, what happened? He says, man, it was cool. Man, I got thrown that lion's den. I called upon God, and he sent his angels. Whoa, hold on, hold on. Did you see the angels? What did they look like? What did the lions do? What did you do all night? Were you afraid? They were blown away. Then they heard the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when those guys showed up to work on Monday, they go, wait a minute. You, 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 just see your skin. You didn't get burned in that fire? Who was that in there with you? What did he say to you? Oh, this blows me away. I mean, they had all these stories, and I'm sure they knew about Daniel chapter 9. 
and how that, that uh, probably Daniel came to work one day on Monday morning and said, you won't believe this one. What happened? He said, you're not going to believe it. Angel Gabriel showed up last night while I was praying. What? The same angel I saw in a vision earlier on. He actually came into my prayer room, the angel Gabriel. What? And he told me, so I'm going to give you some wisdom here. And he says, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you these dates and the, the days and the years. And he said, when you see the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, I want you to know that you can count off this many years. And after this many years, Messiah the Prince is going to come. What? I'm telling you guys, tell your, tell your children, get a calendar out and start marking these days because... The angel told me the precise year the Messiah would be here. It's back there. I blew you away years ago when I did these numbers on the board and showed you that way back then, this angel told him the precise day and year that the Messiah would show up. And it was the day that he rode into Jerusalem on the back of an ass colt. Yes. I mean, it's an incredible prophecy. So... These wise men here that's coming into our Christmas story today, they've been influenced down through the generations by Daniel. Uh, and and, and, and they, they were, they, they might even have been God followers, Jehovah. We don't know. Some people say they were in the Zoroastrian religion, which in that religion, they believe in one God. They believe that the God is omniscient, and they believe he's a creator of life. And so they might have made a switch over from that religion to Daniel's religion. At any rate, uh, they knew about the star. What they had, they had these writings. They had these things that Daniel taught them. And so they were looking at the writings and looking for the star, looking for the writings and looking for the star. Do you know where I'm going this morning? Are you a wise man? So they were, they were reading and looking, reading and looking, reading and looking for the sign, reading and looking for the sign. Uh, they were living in the day of the coming of Jesus, the first birth, the birth of Jesus. Now today, we're living in the days of the second coming. And we should be just like these guys, reading the book, looking for the signs, reading the book, looking for the signs, reading the book, looking for the signs. We, we don't want to be like the five foolish virgins. Virgins. Virgin. <laughs> slow down, Ron. I know we're behind time today. I don't like getting you out this late, but I got to slow down. Take a breath. Sit, tell me to take a breath. Take a breath. Whew, I will. Thank you. <laughs> so, today, here's the deal. Are we looking for the return of Jesus Christ? Are we like these wise men? They knew the proximity of time. They had Daniel chapter 9. We have the proximity of the time. I'm telling you, Jesus, I believe, is coming back in this generation right now. I believe he's coming back. Now, I'm going to go over a few of those signs with you. I don't know how far I'll get because I'm going to watch the clock. But before I do, let me say something about the rapture of the church. I know this is a hard idea to wrap our mind around. I know, I know, I know, I know. I totally get it. We have nothing to compare it to. That one day, and I believe with all of my heart in the next few years, if not sooner, a lot of believers are going to be gone. That's what it teaches in the book. I know, I know. It's hard to wrap your mind around that. 
In fact, a lot of young preachers coming out today, you know what they're doing? They're just saying, because they can't wrap their minds around, they go, this is just hogwash. This is a fable. No, it's not. If you believe in the Bible, there's no way you're going to read it and study it without seeing this event is described in the Bible. So, just, just get used to it. It's going to happen. And I'll tell you, it'll be an event like the world has never seen before. It's going to shake the earth to its very core. It is. I believe so many things are playing in. I mean, if you want to go talk about something, I'm not even so sure the flying saucers UFOs isn't part of this whole thing. I mean, everything's happening at once. I've been preaching prophecy for almost 50 years, and I dream for this day. Everything's happening so quickly, and it all fits in the Bible. I mean, the Bible says in a chapter talking about the catching away of the church, it says in those days when this happens, society's going to believe a lie. Oh, it'd be a better lie than the old UFOs took them. They went away with them. I don't know. I know that's far-fetched, but that's okay. Get used to Ronaldo, Luigi, Pasquale, Romani, Ovietti, because this is what I do. I get caught up in all kinds of things, and I go, wow. Now, some, some young preachers today want to forego the whole rapture idea and just get to the second coming. And, you know, I, I, I can work with that. It'll be the same outcome. So I can work with that, whatever. But let's look just a few things that you might not be knowledgeable about. Maybe you're not reading and watching. Have you heard about the false messiah and all the hype in Israel right now? How many has not heard of this? Okay, you didn't raise your hand. I'm going to come down there and now I'm going to have you introducing right now. Because you didn't raise your hand, right? How many hasn't heard of it? Shlomo, Yehuda. They call him the Yanuka. Shlomo Yehuda. Now, this young rabbi is making a stir in Israel right now among a lot of the Orthodox Jewish rabbis. He's young in his early 30s, and we're told that he's endowed with crazy wisdom. Wisdom like they've never seen in a human being before in the Talmud and in the Torah. He's a child prodigy. By the time he's 15, he had the whole Torah memorized. And he's having lectures everywhere. Some of the older rabbis are kissing his hand, and, and, and there's a multitude in that one area. Let me say more in a second. But there's a bunch of rabbis that are following him and adoring this guy, and the, his lectures are, are just selling out. They said his wisdom has never been seen ever before the wisdom this guy has. And it's been attributed to at least seven miracles by this guy so far. Healing cancer. He's speaking words to people and things are coming to pass. Now, again, rumors are that no one can even come close to matching his knowledge and wisdom. It's almost supernatural. Some even say that he's the Messiah, if you do. Now, if you went to Israel today, you probably wouldn't hear about the guy. You got to remember, Israel is 90% secular. There's only like 12% that are Orthodox Jewish people. I mean, when you go to Israel, you go to Jerusalem, you see all these Orthodox Jews, and you think, man, this is a religious place. But you go to Tel Aviv, last time we were in Tel Aviv, we were next to one of the biggest strip clubs I've ever seen in my life. They're secularized. 
And the other cities, they don't even know. I told you, when we went to Israel on the last trip, I conducted an experiment. I went out to a bunch of teenagers. I said, can you tell me who Jesus was? They said, we've never heard of him. We asked that in several places. They've never heard of Jesus in Israel. Don't know who he was. In fact, when Jesus first started out, he started out just with, uh, if I can phrase it this way, a little, little bunch of hicks over in a, in a seaside town. In fact, Jesus, when he was on earth, he didn't, he wasn't popular among the masses. Uh, in fact, most historians living during those days didn't even think he was worthy of news. They didn't even write about him. Some rabbi down in some hick town on the sea over here. Now, so this guy here is starting out slow. Now, listen to me very closely. If you don't hear this, you don't hear anything. I do not think he's the false messiah. I do not. I think he's just somebody endowed with a lot of knowledge and a gifted young man. I don't think he's the messiah, the false messiah. We already know the real messiah came. His name is what? Jesus Christ. But I think that, that, that he's getting their attention. And what we're seeing is we're seeing a hunger for this false messiah. I mean, he could be the forerunner. Uh, and, and I'm not going to count him out 100%. I mean, we'll have to watch him. Uh, if he falls into obscurity or if he grows more popular, I just don't think he's the guy. And I'll tell you, there's a couple reasons for it that I might mention in a few moments. Now, keep in mind that we are taught in the New Testament that in the last days, two figures are going to appear, two key prominent figures that are going to lead that part of the world into delusion. One's called the Antichrist, one's called the false prophet. One's going to be a political military guy, the other guy's going to be purely religious. And they're going to work in tandem. They're going to work together to conquer the world in that area. And maybe the whole world, we don't know. Now, I've been thinking, you know, the New Testament is uh, really Americanized. And, you know, we, we tie the Antichrist all in one, but there's going to be two of them. Now, we don't even really know the ethnicity of the Antichrist. He doesn't have to be Jew. Now, the false prophet, we figure, is going to be Jew. Now, the Antichrist could be a Gentile, according to many, but we do know the Antichrist and false prophet working together are going to do some phenomenal things. And so, I'm here to suggest to you, is it possible that the Antichrist could have some Muslim blood in him? He could have a conglomeration. And he could appeal to the Muslims, and maybe the false prophet is Jewish, and he appeals to the Jewish people, and together they're able to bring peace into the Middle East. I don't know. That's just one of many, many, many ideas. But, you know, in past history, uh, Martin Luther, a lot of them, some people thought that the Pope was the Antichrist. They thought that Hitler was the Antichrist. A lot of confusion. Now, keep in mind, this is so important, that right now, as the Jews are looking for Messiah— and it'll be a false Messiah, because our Messiah's already come. As they're looking for their Messiah, the Muslims are looking for their Messiah. He's called Mahdi. And the Muslims are saying, now, I don't know if you know this, but the Muslims, they believe that Jesus was a prophet. They don't believe he was the son of God, but they believe he was a prophet. And what 
the Muslims are taught is that when their Mahdi comes, he's going to work right alongside Jesus Christ. And together, both of them are going to conquer the world. But they're going to work with Jesus. I don't know if I'd clap for that, but, uh, you know, <laughs> that's okay. I like your passion there. Uh, but together, that's what they believe is going to happen. Now, again, if, they, if, they, if one of them has got a little bit, I mean, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I think maybe we're, we're straining too hard to put them into uh, one figure. But the Muslims right now, if you've been doing any reading in the last four or five years, they said it's time for Mahdi to show up. So they're saying it's time, it's time, time for Mahdi to show up, and then the end's going to come. The Jews are saying it's time for Messiah to show up, and then the end's going to come. We say Messiah's already showed up, but the end's coming anyway. We know that. Now you can clap. Uh, now, have you heard about the red heifers that have showed up in Israel, uh, what, just a few weeks ago? The red heifer, you say, what's the big deal? Can't do temple worship without him. And I think it was, was it five? I think it was five red heifers showed up in crates in Israel just a few weeks ago. They're ready for temple worship. And the rabbis went out and inspected them. And so they were flawless. They were without blemish. They can't have one white hair on them, one black hair on them. They can't have ever bore any kind of burden. And they looked at them and they said, they're flawless. Now, now again, ah, my mind's being fried here. All this stuff's happening at one time. And, and I wish I had time today, but I probably don't. But uh, the Russian-Ukraine war, I believe, is going to play a role in Bible prophecy. I think it's going to fit in. I think it's going to cause stuff to happen. Keep in mind, in Ezekiel 38, 39, it says that there's going to come a war. It's going to involve Israel, Russia, and Iran. We have some of the players named. It's going to be the last war. And so it's prophesied there. And the Bible teaches us that Russia and Iran and others will attack Israel in this last war. You say, what does Ukraine have to do with that? In my opinion, Ukraine can be the very thing that can be used by God to cause this war, or at least maybe he's looked ahead and seen that this is the thing, that's better to phrase it, this is the thing that's going to cause this war with Israel. Why? Russia's hurting right now. The financial sanctions and the finances, their finances are going down the tube. They're running the bank dry. And the longer this war continues, the more they're getting into bankruptcy and the more they're hurting. And when they come out of this war, they're going to be looking for some way to recuperate. They're going to say, we've got to recuperate. Now, quick backdrop. Golan Heights in Israel. The Golan Heights once belonged to Syria. In the 1967 war, Israel was able to get the Golan Heights back from Syria. And Golan Heights is a very, very strategic place in Israeli's history. They had to get that land back, and they will never give the Golan Heights back. But here's the problem. In the 67 war, Israel took the Golan Heights back, but the international community says, no, 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 that is not your, your property. Although they have a right to it because they took it in a war where they were invaded, according to the book, they have a right to it. The international community says, no, it's not your land. It still belongs to Syria, and we don't recognize it belonging to anybody but Syria. Thank God for the United States. We, with President Trump was president, 
he went out and he gave sovereignty to Golan Heights that it belongs to Israel. He's the only one that has said that. <laughs> Trump also moved the headquarters to Jerusalem. They think all this is biblical prophecy. And so you've got the Golan Heights setting there. And the thing about it is, is there has been an oil discovery in the Golan Heights. I don't know if that's a PowerPoint or not, if I made it one. But, but l- let me give you the backdrop. Are you still with me? Are you with me? Okay, you're still with me. Okay, you, you, you said it. The Golan Heights. Now, I'm going to tell you three things real quickly, or two at least, maybe three. There's been a huge oil discovery in Golan Heights. When did it happen? 2015. Why is everything happening in the last 10 years? Everything has been prophesied and the Bible's happening quickly. The Bible says it'll be like birth pains. It'll get quicker and quicker and quicker until the Lord comes back. They discovered oil, big oil reserves in the Golan Heights in 2015. Now, keep in mind that Syria thinks that oil belongs to them. Israel says it belongs to us. Syria says, no, it belongs to us. Ask the international community. If we come in and take it back, they're going to be with us. They're going to stand with us. All you have is the United States. And right now, the United States probably won't even help you. That's a sad thing to say, come out of my lips. But I don't know if we would. And so, right now, uh, they're getting excited. And Russia's getting excited after they come out of the war going, hey, wait a minute. Now, to keep in mind, number two, let me get ahead of myself. Russia intervened in the Syrian civil war in when? 2015. Again, there's 2015. After the Syrians requested, Russia came down out of the north and they, they, they made some military bases in Syria and they're there to stay. Now the Bible says in Ezekiel that in the last days God will put a hook in the jaw of Russia and bring her out of the north down into the Middle East. It's already happened. When you go to Israel, it's, it's crazy. We go in the Golan Heights, we can walk out on a mountain like this and look down and throw a rock into Syria. Russia's right there. Now, it's interesting, Iran is also mentioned specifically in the Bible as being an ally to Russia when they raid Israel. And Iran came in too, and they put bases in Syria. Hezbollah came in. They're they're there in Syria. All of Israel's neighbors just moved a whole lot, their enemies, I should say, just moved a whole lot closer. They're coming down close. They're breathing down Israel's neck. And so... I'm telling you, those military bases aren't going anywhere. Can I suggest to you that after this Ukrainian war, that one possibility is this, that Russia has to recuperate finances, and they love to come down and go, hey, Syria, why don't we go in and take that Golan Heights back? Why don't we go take it back? We'll help you, as long as we can get one-third or one-half of the, of the oil. Then they're going to have to do something. Say they're going to have to do something. Yes. Now... Let's even add to that more. Russia, up until now, has been exporting gas to Europe. But now with the war in Ukraine, they stopped doing that the way they were doing it. Now, Israel, in the interim period, has taken on the role now. They said, we're going to send gas into Europe. Do you think that's going to make Russia happy? Hey, Israel is now getting in on their profits. And Israel right now... They got the pipeline already laid, a lot of it, and they're going to export natural gas to Egypt where it'll be liquefied and then sent to Europe. And Russia is not happy. 
So now Russia has another reason to invade Israel, to get this pipeline back. And so I'm telling you, this war is inevitable. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. Now, I don't have time to talk about all these because I'm watching the clock. But if I did, I'd like to talk about the cashless society, Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency. Hello, what a time for that as right now. Although we know cryptocurrencies uh, in a problem stage right now, we know that. I think it will work its way out. Let me ask you a question. Could Bitcoin be a fulfillment of Bible prophecy by giving us a one world currency that could be used by Antichrist to gain global economic control of the world? I think it could. We are watching a cashless society take place right now, and the Bible says in the last days there will be a cashless society. I went to get my car washed today and tried to pay with cash. They said, no, 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 just a card, only a card. We don't even accept cash. I went to Dodger game the other day, and all purchases at Dodger Stadium now are cashless transactions. And it even says right on the Dodger site, Dodgers accept digital wallets. What's happening? It's before our eyes. I mean, I went to that day and told somebody, I want to write a check. They go, what's that? What's that? And I how about this stuff? You know what this green stuff is? Vaguely. We want a card. We're in a cashless society right now. I mean, it's crazy what's happening. And the Bible all wrote about it. I wish I had time to talk about the rebuilding of the third temple. I mean, they got the cows there now. They're there. They're ready to go. They're looking for their Messiah. And the Bible says explicitly, it gives us a, a, a glimpse of, of, of the future, and it says... The Antichrist will go into the temple, so it has to be redone. There has to be a temple built, because he goes in there. It's called the Abomination of Desolation. It's the third temple. And even now, Temple Institute has discovered that the, the, the Dome of the Rock, which is the Muslim building, there's two of them on, Mount, on Temple Mount, it doesn't have to be torn down. They said there's plenty of room, biblically speaking, for the temple to be built beside it. What a beautiful thing for the Antichrist to do, or the false prophet come in and say, hey, you know what? Muslims, stop fighting the Jews. Jews, stop fighting the Muslims. Me and my false prophet here, we've got a plan. We're going to go in now, and we're going to build the Jewish temple up there. It's only fair, guys. We get to share. You have your temple. We're going to build the Jewish temple, and we're going to share it together. We're going to split the city, and you get half, and you get half, and somehow it's going to go over with all of them. I mean, all this stuff is just... So easy, it's, it's, it's there, it's, it's plain to see. In fact, it's mind-boggling. Uh, one of the rabbis, one of the main rabbis in Israel, who's the head of the Western Wall area, he vows, he said, I, I've been under there and I've seen the Ark of the Covenant. I've seen it with my eyes, it's there. Now, I don't have time to tell you, but Solomon was the wisest man in the world. And when he built that temple... You don't think he knew that soon he was going to be attacked by either the Egyptians or the Babylonians or both? He knew. He knew Bible prophecy. He knew they were coming at some point in time. It is my opinion that Solomon built a hidden chamber below the temple and hid that Ark of the Covenant. We've never seen it since the day of Josiah. I have the verse I was going to read you today, but I'm out of time, where Josiah told the people, so let's get the Ark of the Covenant, go put it in, and the Hebrew word can be dungeon, go put it down the secret place, and let's don't worry about it right now. 
And we know when the Babylonians came to destroy Israel and Jerusalem and the temple, the ark wasn't there. They took what things they found, but they, never, they came back 10 years later and took more. They never found the ark. It was gone. Now, it's kind of like playing hide-and-go-seek. Would you want to play hide-and-go-seek with the smartest man in the whole world? Probably hard to find him, wouldn't it? Solomon, we're, saying, we're told in the Bible, was the wisest man who ever lived, at least up until that point. Wisest man who ever lived. And when he wanted to hide the ark, he hid the ark. And the rabbi said he saw it. Well, when I went to Israel in the 80s, it was unbelievable. They, they were making a tunnel underneath Temple Mount. And they said it wasn't open to the public yet, but our guides, I think I can get you in it. And I went in this tunnel, it was like this wide and this high. And we went down and we went all under Temple Mount. I looked and there were like gopher holes going this way, this way, this. I said, what are they looking for? And I thought, duh, they're looking for the Ark of the Covenant. So later when I went back a few years later, they said, okay, now it's a tourist site. We, we made this for the tourists. No, they didn't. They went looking for the ark. I think they found the ark. They sealed it off. They know it's there. They're now in control of that. That is not a tourist site. At least it wasn't made for that in the first, first time that it was made. And so I believe it's there. They know exactly where it's at. So now you have the red heifers. You have the ark of the covenant. Now there's many rumors about these things. It's hard to be dogmatic, but I'm giving you the most popular beliefs. I think most of the Orthodox Jewish rabbis would agree with me on this location. If you want to get really going down a rabbit hole, I can share with you some of the other beliefs about where the ark is at, and, and we'll get right into the old movie. What was his name? Indiana Jones. That's where we will go. But I'm going to stick with what I believe to be true, what I think God has shown me. The Temple Institute has already reduplicated every instrument used in temple worship. They have it all. They've just been waiting for the red heifers, and now they show up. So they're going to rebuild the temple. We're going to watch all this. We're like the wise men. Look at the word. Watch the sign. Oh, they're building. Look at the word. Watch the signs. I wish I had time to talk about the hidden, hidden chip revolution. When you go home, Google Biohacks International. Biohacks International in Sweden. They're planting computer chips in people's hands. They've already done thousands. Look at Revelation 13, 16, 17. And he caused all the small and the great and the rich and the poor and the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And if you don't have it, you can't buy or sell. You have to have it. On the internet, it says this about Biohacks International. Developer of a near-field communications device intended to make people's digital life seamless and secure with power of the blockchain. Oh, they got the blockchain in there. Wish I'd tiny but the plagues are going to come in the last days. Whoa. Scarlet thread discovery just, just a year ago or whatever. This turned them back onto the purple, uh, purple the, the, the color. Okay, Ron, you're almost there, buddy. The color purple. I wish I'd go back and talk about 1948, the reunification of the Israel nation. And how it was the prophetic time clock that set all this in motion. Again, when I read scripture and look at the Greek, it says that when the Jews came home to their homeland and were reunified in May 1948, that everybody living at that time would not be dead when everything was fulfilled. That's people my age. So some of them would still be alive. Again, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see, because I've been teaching this for 50 years, that we saw a sign every once in a while, every once in a while, we saw one every five or ten years, and now 
these signs are just coming like this, exactly the way the Bible said it would happen. And then I was going to get into, I'll have to do this maybe after the holidays. Uh, I want to get into 2 Timothy chapter 3 and talk about the cultural description in the last days. When I go to 2 Timothy 3 and talk about the culture description of the last days by Timothy or Paul, it's going to blow you away. I watched the Christmas special the other night, and I was grieved. I went to bed repenting for our nation. It was the Rockefeller Center, and Prometheus, big statue of Prometheus, that's the, the god of Greek mythology. He was the god of the Titans. He, in Greek mythology, he was the god who made man out of the dirt. That's a slap in God's face. They said, we don't recognize you as the creator. We recognize Prometheus. Big old, you say, if you saw the special, you couldn't help but see it. They are spitting in God's face. They are blaspheming, saying, that's the creator, not you, God. This nation is beginning to hate God in some segments. They're not just indifferent to him anymore. They hate him. Did anybody see, and I know it was a little bit cheesy, but did anybody see Dolly Parton's Christmas special? She preached. That lady went out and preached. She had a song called Devil Go to Hell. I mean, she preached. At the end, she had to ask forgiveness for pushing too much Jesus. And I couldn't wait to see what our culture said the next day. They said it's a, they said it's a heresy. It's a cult. They said it's ridiculous. I mean, wait till I get into these things in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's absolutely nuts. Now, let me begin to end by saying this. Are, are you like the wise men or the foolish virgins? Let me put up two diagrams. I drew these this morning, so forgive me if they're a little wrong. But put up these two diagrams right here. I don't know if you can see them. But here, here's what's happening. And it's happening quickly. Syria, Russia comes down, Iran comes down. Two of the nations named specifically in the Bible that are going to attack Israel. They come right down next door to Israel. And this just happened the last 10 years. The, all, if we were watching a play, every, everybody's getting in their positions for the curtain to go up. They're all getting in. And, and then we got May 1940, reunification of Israel nation. The red heifer comes. False Messiah appearances. Third temple plan discussions. Oil reserve discovery in Golan Heights. Gas pipeline to Europe. Well, meantime, over here in the world, we have a cast of society. Global warming. We're not going to make it out of global warming. People are falling away from the living God, just like the Bible said. Plagues, nuclear war threat. The Bible says that if the last days weren't shortened, the very elect wouldn't even make it. I'm telling you, it's coming down. And I have so much more to say. That was only one third of my notes. But we had you a long time, and I want to get you out of here. I don't know if I should continue or not. Don't encourage me. Don't encourage me. Jesus is coming back. And the world can laugh all they want, but the laugh is on them. He's coming back. He does nothing unless he tells his prophets. And he's telling us, he's coming back. Son, get him ready. Son, get him ready. This shouldn't scare you. Remember, we're saved by grace. That's undeserved favor. We're not perfect by any stretch of the means. We just believe in Jesus as our Savior. We believe he's going to come back and save us. I think that it's right before your very nose. 
You have to stick your head in the proverbial hole in the ground to not see all this. Everything the Bible said is coming to pass. Everything. There's no way it can't be the Word of God. Even people that aren't believers say, we're not going to make global warming is going to get us. This is going to get us. That's going to get us. Sure, this world has a shelf life. We're at the end. Oh, I don't want to say so much more. I can't. We got children out there. They're wetting their pants and they're screaming and running our nursery workers nuts. Can I continue? I don't know when. I might have to wait because I'm getting so serious now. I don't want to ruin the holiday season. <laughs> I might have to wait till January. What I say I was going to start in January talking about arm up. Time to arm up. Let's just pray our way out today. Father God, I said enough. Ah, Lord. You know I went to bed apologizing for our country the other night. Prometheus, what a slap in your face. This country is going out of their way to insult you. It's time for the church to stand up and be heard. It's time for the church to refuse to be bullied anymore. Father God, right now, I just ask you to dismiss us in a cool way. And so I don't forget, because you, you warned me, you had a lecture with me a while back. I want to give an altar call. If there's anybody in here that's never been born again, you don't remember a moment when you said, God, I surrender. I give you my life. Bring the Holy Spirit and come and live inside of me. If you don't remember ever doing that, I'm going to give you the opportunity right now. While all the Christians are praying, Christians be praying. If you're here and you've never been born again, would you just boldly and unashamedly raise your hand up? Say, I don't care what anybody thinks beside me. I need God. I, I've known it for a long time. Just raise your hand up. Please. Just say, I want God. God will see your hand. Just raise it up. Raise it up high, unashamedly. Yeah, I see those hands going up. Raise them up. Let, let God see them. Say, I want God. If you're online today and you never received the, the Lord into your life, right now I, I'm going to tell you what to do. Get, get near your television. And I want you to pray a prayer with me. When you pray it, I want you to believe it. Even if you didn't raise your hand, I want everybody online and here to pray with me. And Christians help the others that are non-believers. Let's all pray and say, Lord God. Today, I want to give my life to you. Send the Holy Spirit. Come live in my body. Give me the strength I need to start following Jesus. God, I'm going to go buy a Bible. I'm going to start reading it. And I'm going to start obeying it. And I'm going to start my walk with you. Thank you for receiving me. I'm now a Christian. When I leave here today, I'm not the same person that came in. I'm going home with God in my body. And I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Sorry we were late today. We'll try not to ever do that again, but bless you, bless you. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message has ministered to your heart. If you don't already have a church you call home, we invite you to join us at Valley Bible Fellowship for worship, Bible study, fellowship, and more. We're at 2300 East Brundage Lane in Bakersfield, California, near Mount Vernon and Freeway 58. 
Reach us by phone at 661-325-2251 or visit our website at vbf.org. Here is our King, here is our